Yeah, so we are back. We took a week off uh, because Katie had to go down to Florida to get some sunshine and palm trees and leaving me in the cold north. Uh, but this week, we'll jump right in and let you know that um, we're just so humbled to be joined by my friend and uh, my old director, but not old at all, uh, Laura Darling. Uh, she has quite a career in the theater, both as an actress and a director and a playwright. She's also a writer, and by day, she plays a lawyer in real life. So it's such a, it was such a fascinating interview that we did last night, and um, she just closed the show. I mean, like she says, her train's constantly moving, so you, know, you either get on it or just kind of watch it go by. And um, I've always been impressed with Laura. I knew of her before working with her in musical theater. And um, she's just so impressive and so inspiring. And her attitude is so infectious. You just want to be a part of it. And so just reconnecting with her last night, like now I'm going to keep paying attention to what else she does. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this wonderful episode with my friend and our guest, Laura Darling. recording so um thank you for signing that disclaimer in the beginning sort of <laughs> no sort problem. of so laura all, all i could keep thinking through the day when i know you were coming on is the the one phrase that kept coming to me is oh captain my captain um because i mean when i think of a director that that i admire that that i you know seen do amazing work that i haven't been a part of even um it's you and Aww. you know and and you know you own your shows you know what I mean like so so we'll get to the the wonderful um experience Katie and I had in the theater together but um you know I, I knew of you before you and I worked together and like obviously I expect you know no what whoa, you did what? in what a good mean? way no oh. in a good way it wasn't like on the bathroom wall or something it was okay. like <laughs> no 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 yes of course I did of course I did because you know I would see you know, first of all, like, I'm not sure if you know, Albany's not like as big as New York City. Correct. And so like, you kind of get even even if you are in New York City, I mean, theater worlds kind of start to know each other's names type of thing. So I didn't know you or like I could pass you on the street, not know I was passing you, but I knew your name. Right. So um, it's a very I, just... unique name. It's a very unique name. Yes. Yes. So um uh, I'll start off this whole show for people that are listening that Laura um, granted me the wish uh, without you knowing you were granting me the wish of uh, casting me a pseudolist and a, and a funny thing happened in the way of the forum, which was always like my dream role. And I remember I was sitting at a diner and uh, with my nephew who we interviewed Katie yeah. two weeks ago and my brother. And I read, I like took my phone and I'm like, like just showing them I could I like they're like well, are you gonna finish I'm like I can't eat now and <laughs> and then then I I was like I gotta get in shape for the role I'm like actually I can eat this is actually he's a very large man so wonderful <laughs> oh, yeah. it's all for the it's so, all for the theater yeah so this was back in 2016 in in the summer of 2016 and it was mm -hmm. just a great great experience and the one thing I can say um, from from working with you is, is what I was saying before. You own your shows. You know, you don't call in your direct like like you go if there's masking tape that needs to be done. Well, actually, perfect example. Um, I didn't want to wear the shoes that the costume department came up with me and I wanted to wear my Crocs. 
Mm-hmm. And, and Laura said, we had, so we Laura, had sandals. We had like Roman sandals yeah. rigged up from like old Navy $5 BS because <laughs> our costume budget was what can you find for free? Right. Cause community yeah. theater. Right. But right. Jeff said, no, I'm not comfortable doing that. And I thought I, the last thing I need in this show is my lead actor who is literally carrying the show on his back to be uncomfortable in their costume. And so I was like, what do you want to wear? And he said Crocs. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Okay. And go <laughs> into my theater bag of tricks and pull out fake leather, hot glue, and gaff tape. And we gaffed those MRFers to look <laughs> like some sort of like really early leather clog. And yeah. they were fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'll do one better. Yeah. You said, what do you want? He said Crocs. You go give them to me. <laughs> and so by the way i did i wore them like that for like the rest of the summer too so like i didn't take the fake leather off they just eventually peeled off yeah really that would make sense gross yeah. Way. yeah you're like yeah that, <laughs> that, that yeah, was your track record shows you need women like like laura and myself and your wife obviously you gravitate toward women who kind of kick your ass a little bit yeah no absolutely no 100 it's tough love it's That's tough right. love That's right, right. But here's the thing. This isn't about me. This whole show is about you. And what I want to know is like, first, like, I know we were just talking a little bit, but tell us about the show you just closed. What, what was, what is it about? Like, what's the story about? Like, how did you, did you pick the script? Did you like, what, how did you come to it? Sure. So, uh, uh, some other local directors uh, and I were shooting the shit one night and I, I asked them, you know, like, Hey, like, what are the new and up and coming shows that, you've seen and you've heard of uh and brian sheldon and i began talking about come from away and i think evan jones mentioned a couple of o'neills that he really wanted to see in the area and then brian sheldon i believe off the cuff mentioned um that i should read the script seminar because i'm also a playwright at the same time and uh he said you'd really enjoy it as a writer uh and as a director and as someone in the theater and the next day uh i amazon primed it and read it and it was amazing and perfect and wonderful because it was funny because i was a writer uh and i said well this has to be done and i submitted it to a local theater group it got accepted and then about two weeks before we were set to audition oh no the world slammed shut. Oh, was the, oh, okay. Yes. So we were about to go into auditions. I think the audition notice had been sent out, if I remember correctly. Oh. And then we went on total lockdown. And for months and months, I just emailed the theater and saying, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Because a lot of theaters had transferred to like online yep. uh, and Zoom readings. And mostly I was emailing them to be assured that that's not what seminar was going to become. I didn't want it to die on the zoom chat. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I wanted to still do it as a full production and really held out hope that this wasn't forever and that we would be back to, to, you know, business as usual, as much as it could be. Uh, And finally, eventually it was like the end of this last summer, they gave me the word that, you'll be able to have open auditions in November. You can begin in December. Um, and they gave me the regulations and they said, everyone has to be fully masked for, until further notice. And sure. that's how we started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I pushed for you know vaccinations and boosters and actors not to be masked, but oh. audience members and tech to be masked. And that's how we yep. ended up doing it eventually. Oh, nice. So it, is that how you did rehearsals? Were you able to do rehearsals without masks? We did rehearsals uh, without masks so long as they were on the stage. If we were doing staged readings and stuff, it was all six feet apart. We did a lot of Zoom rehearsals, notes, uh, read-throughs, things like that. When yeah. we needed to, uh, we did them on Zoom. Uh, we did have two coronavirus positive cases during the run. Uh, or I should say during the rehearsal, the rehearsal process. Um, and so out of an ab- abundance of caution, we would either go on Zoom or we would delay rehearsals, which was totally fine because I absolutely planned for that, which means we had plenty Good. of rehearsal time, even with cancellations. And then I got COVID. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Gosh. Oh, wait, and, I think I knew that. Yeah. And then I got COVID. And so, but luckily again, Laura Darling had planned for this. And so the assistant director 
uh, that I had brought on to shadow me the entire process was able to keep things running for the three or four days I was down. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was able to get back into it. So yeah. uh, abundance of caution and planning. And then we also uh, rapid tested our actors oh, you did. Uh, before intimacy work. So if they were making out on stage, we rapid tested them. Uh, and if yeah, they were I negative, do that with then- my wife. Yeah. <laughs> so you're allowed to continue forward. And so we, we close this weekend. I think that COVID has changed the face of theater in a lot of different ways. I think that there's a small member of the members of the population that are not safe or feel safe coming back to theaters, even though we sanitize and we wear masks. Um, and so I saw a very different audience this time, both for mm-hmm. good and for bad. I saw a smaller amount of audience, but the audience that did come was so happy to be there. So that is the, the changing face of theater right now. So here's my question. A couple, I had so much, I have so much I want to bring up tonight. And so like, I'm trying to like taste myself. <laughs> trying to talk fast. You're cool. I know, no, no, it's good. So, so was this season for the theater um, that you were working in the first season back? Yes. And were you one of your, was your show the first or like, where was it in the season? For uh, Albany Civic, mine was yeah. the second show. They had put up a small production of art before me just to kind of oh, get back into that. I love that show. Yeah. Well, uh, my husband was actually in that show. Oh, wow. Uh, so he went from being in art, getting out of that show and going into his production uh, and directions of no exit, which is opening tomorrow. And wow. I just closed mine. So a whole theater family we've got. Wow. At, the, awesome. at the same theater at the same, uh, he did art and seminar at the same theater. He is opening, uh, no exit at confetti stage tomorrow night. Oh, wow. All, all the old, uh, greatest hits places. I, I miss oh, those yeah. places. Oh yeah. Um, the, that's wonderful. And what, how do you feel like, are people coming to see shows? Yes. I, I think that there is a percentage of the population that is not coming back to the theater yet. Um, but like I said, the ones that are coming back to the theater, they are doing so with enthusiasm. They Mm -hmm. want to be back. They missed it so much. Uh, but I think it's a changed environment. I think the audiences that are coming back want to see interesting new stuff or they're there to laugh at the classic standards you know right the the days of the mediocre stage reading are over because we have had enough of those for two years on zoom they want to see the fresh on stage yeah. action they want to see the slamming door farces or they want to see those classics or they want something that's going to make them think and know that they're back in in true theater my, so so they, they if they're going to come to the theater, they want some meat. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's that's like the temperature of the room right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like I haven't been to theater production or movie um, since before March of 2020. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, you know, I was doing Hello, Dolly. I'm not doing Hello, Dolly anymore. Um, but um, um, we were doing rehearsals in masks and um, it was really strange right because it's it's like you 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 build on people's facial reactions and recognition and and um it just wasn't the same so to that point and i'd love to get your thoughts on this lauren just your insight from from an audience member's perspective so so my daughter's a dancer and she's in a lot of productions and she was in a show this past summer where they didn't have to be masked and we were all thrilled because of small cast, you know, dance family, whatever. Um, but my stepdaughter, same time of year, different crew, different uh, theater company, um, all masked. It was a different feel. It was the kids show. Didn't bother me. I went to see 42nd Street at a high school in Rochester that, I mean, they're amazing theater uh the performing arts at Greece Athena and in Rochester and they did 42nd street. And it's a, it's one of those old time classics that I was like, gosh, are the kids going to appreciate this? But I I felt like the audience was just, my point is these kids wore masks and. Oh, during the performance. Yes. They were, they're so talented that I felt, I, I almost forgot they were wearing masks at times, but it was almost like there were moments of, you know, you're watching and you're like, oh gosh, they're masked, right? Oh. Um, 
And it was jarring because you'd, you'd lose yourself in it and you'd come back to it and you'd lose yourself. And I feel like they did as the actors as well. So curious what, you know, you've seen from an audience perspective or, you know, because it's just, it is, it's this very strange dynamic or dichotomy that's happening for these kids, these performers. And then as audience members too, I think we're all kind of going in and out of that dream world that we're trying to get into when we're watching a good production. I think that it goes to speak to the power of suspension of disbelief. Yeah. When you as an audience member walk into a theater, you make an unknowing pact and contract with the actors on that stage that you are going to show me a a lie. You are going to show me an untruth. You're going to show me a show, an act, a farce. Can I let me forget the reality that I'm And and my bargain that I'm paying you not only a ticket price uh, most times, but mine is I promise to suspend my disbelief of the waking world to be in and give you my attention for that. We all know that these kids that get up on high school stages um, you know, uh, and do things like Beauty and the Beast, that they're not really transformative, magical, you know, creatures from 18th yeah. century what? France. That is Whoa, the best I know, but like complete, like, you know, spoiler yeah. alert. We, we understand as audience members that that is not true, but we go in knowing that we're going to suspend our disbelief for the purpose of that show. And I think that that contract has extended to masks sure. because of the times we're in well, we uh, and because of that we have to it's part of the adapt and overcome mentality that humans have that that's what we're doing and whether i go to see a show where the kids are wearing masks or the people are wearing masks or they're not frankly as long as i'm seeing a good show i don't really care it's yeah, truly up yeah. to their their comfort level now there's some productions i think that wouldn't you know, benefit from masks because of the nature of the subtlety of facial expressions and, and sometimes doing ridiculous farces, you know, funny faces are half the acting. So it would be a real challenge. Um, But that's why they make things like clear masks or they make face shields. Like there, there are ways to do it. So. Although I will tell you, my daughter did a dance show last year with the, she was like, Oh, the, her director was like, we've got clear masks. And the kids were like, okay. Well, they were clear plastic masks. So they were dancing and they're foggy Fogging and up. they're plastic. So mm-hmm. you're not, there's no breathing. Anti-fog, I mean, anti-fog spray. But I mean, it was, it didn't work, right? Windshield like it wiper. was not. Yeah. We- <laughs> little was little not windshield wiper. Thing. Wait, so, yeah. so yes. Laura, I mean, when you, when you direct a show pre-COVID, right? It's like moving mountains, right? What, how, so, so you had signed up to do the show before you even knew this existed, right? Then you stayed on it to make sure it wouldn't fall in zoom hell, right? Correct. So, so were you, obviously you were up for the challenge. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, I I guess I'll, I'll just, you know, I don't know how to phrase it, but it's a massive undertaking, right? To do a show to begin with, but then you're also doing it with all these precautions and worries. And like, that's just a whole new level of stress that, you know, even the the best director on Broadway has never dealt with before. So how did you prepare yourself to get into that mind space? Um, well, um, <laughs> I think that- As she takes a drink. Yeah, <laughs> as I drink it, take a drink. Um, I had a Cracker Jack team with me. Um, and I'm not sure if you remember how my directorial style was, but- I have backup yeah. plans to my backup plans to my backup plans. And so I gave the no nonsense, no BS talk to all of the actors and the techies day one that was like, you guys listen up. We are only going to do this show if we can make it to the finish line. To make it to the finish line, we have to make some sacrifices. Those sacrifices include you have to not get COVID. And that means maybe you can't go to your uncle Andrew and aunt Myrtle's 50th wedding anniversary. If you have a bunch of people who aren't going to be mass and you haven't seen them and they're all coming from Florida or red States, maybe that's a sacrifice we have to make. Maybe you have to make sure you're washing your hands extra. Maybe we have to make sure that you're taking your vitamin C and that's you're boosted and that you're, you're monitoring your own symptoms. And on top of that, I made sure that myself, the assistant director and my stage manager 
all knew every part of that show in the eventuality that we would have to go on at any moment. And some of us did some nights for any character in that show. We knew every dialogue and blocking and props um, and cross our fingers. We would not be needed. Um, And, and, you know, there were plenty of backup plans to that as well, that I had local actors on my, holy crap list to call in the event that I needed them to stand on stage with a script. Um, and that is how we forged forward. And I told him, I said, I will put a breathing body on this stage to do this role. If you are the only one that is sick that night, because, and if you're disobeying these rules, you're, you're not making me mad. Right. You're not upsetting me. You're not upsetting the audience, but you're letting the people that you have traveled this journey with down and who did the work and mm-hmm. who were careful and who did everything that they were supposed to do. They're the ones that would be punished by me just saying an outright cancellation and I won't do it. Yeah. Uh, so I said, don't, don't be that way to your fellow peers and have that respect and do the work. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> and that scary send that scary sentence, all, all scared and straight. Uh, and we were able to make it with no COVID mishaps for the entire two weeks. Thank goodness. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I was remembering as you were talking that um, we, when we were rehearsing, I forgot where we rehearsed. I know where we are, where we were. I just forgot the name of it. And the electricity went out. So people started walking out, including myself. And you said, wait, where's everybody going? And we're like, the electricity. And they're like, no, 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 there was no, no electricity. No, 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 in no. A- no, you said there was no electricity in ancient Rome. So, yeah, like I remember that it was so I think back. it was like the it was it. like the heat there was like yes. a rolling heat blackout yes. where we were rehearsing yes. and the air conditioning wasn't working anyways and the windows wouldn't open and I was like you're going to get out your flashlights we're open the windows yes. the street lights are on we're going to keep going I remember I remember <laughs> we could do blocking um, in the dark so, who says we can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we did so so just to pivot for a second you sure. you 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 have you have um you know, what I would call a major theater career in the Capital District. And, but during the day, you also play the part of a lawyer. And I've I've always found that to be so intriguing to me, you know, that like, you know, and so um, was there a time where you, like, did you consciously decide to pursue, obviously you consciously decided to pursue law, but I have to imagine with your major interest and talent in, in um, theater. Did you just say that's going to be a hobby for me and I'm going to follow the law for my career? I think that uh, when I started out in law school, they give you this like day one brainwash of like, this is your life now. Everything <laughs> else comes second. Family, relationships, everything wow. else is secondary until you pass the bar. Like because unless you pass, it is, it's like, it's like joining the army. It was crazy. It's like, unless you, cause if you don't pass the bar the next three years and you know, $70,000 is for nothing. And so right. you go, Oh, Holy crap. And so my whole world was law, law, law. And all my friends were from law school and all, and everything was that I could never go home and I never took breaks and you just study and you work and you read and you study and you work. And then third year comes and you're studying for the bar and you're realizing that they've scared you. (laughs) Uh, But there's a whole extra life out there that you're going to lead very soon. And so I had, I had gone cold Turkey on theater for uh, three, three years at that point. And my law school decided, hey, we're going to participate this year in the vagina monologues. And if only we had someone that had any sort of acting or directing experience to help us with that. And I swear to God, I think I jumped a 50 feet across the cafeteria. And I was like, me, 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 wait, hi, hi, I know. What do you need? What do you need? And we did the vagina monologues. And like the night before they're like, oh man, if only we had a spotlight. And I was like, give me five minutes. And I called up my old friends from college. I was like, I need to bother with a spotlight. And I, that's when I started realizing that I have theater favors somehow planted in like almost every theater company in the Capital District. And I was like, I'm just going to use this one tonight. Uh, and doing that in the middle of being so miserable in law school, I was like, oh my God, I, this makes me so happy. Why the heck am I not doing more of this? And I vowed to myself that after I passed the bar, I would get back into community theater. Um, and I, I did, but it took me a while. Uh, I, 
I went into politics for a while, hated that, got out of it, started my own law firm. And in that, um, I discovered Troy Civic, which is how Jeff and I met. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's how I started getting back into it in that way uh, through trying to get back onto the stage, not behind it, but back right. on the stage. Uh, and then after a while, uh, I realized I stopped. I did not want to direct musicals anymore. I wanted to transition to, to plays and other things. Um, and I took a small break from that too. And just thought, you know, I need to find a theater home someplace else. That's not Troy civic. I want to go into actual serious plays, not, not just right. musicals. Um, and then, oh. uh, my grandmother died, who was the person who took me to see my first, like oh. musicals. She took me to Annie at the Stanley in Utica. She took oh me to like gosh. the Dolgeville plays, you know, her and my grandfather introduced me to basically the world of New York city, uh, and oh, all the Broadway shows there. And so when I found out that she had passed away and she had been sick for a long time, so it wasn't like a shock, but my brain just went, you have to go to a theater and do something right now. And I looked on Facebook and someone had posted that Confetti Stage was having auditions for Sleepy Hollow. And I said, okay, I'm going. And I just on a whim went, got wow. cast. That's where I met my new theater family and my husband. Aww. Like whew, whirlwind of whirlwind yeah. of things. When yeah. was that? Oh God, I'm looking up at the theater poster right now and I can't see 2018, 17, 18. I think. Got it. Something like that. Yeah. So three, got three it, got it. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so how do you carve out time for it? Meaning, meaning, especially at first, meaning when you were just out of law school and trying to build a career and also yeah. wanting to do theater. Like, you know, I, I think even if, and, and I'm saying this was a bit of levity, but like, even if you start a new job at Domino's, right? Like yeah. you got to go on like their schedule to build mm-hmm. up some reports. So like, how did you manage the two, like your, your, your interest and your interest? I got to tell you, there's a lot of nights that I would have to text a director and say, I'm coming straight from night court and I'm going to be late. And I would jump up to that court clerk and I'd smile my prettiest smile. And I'd say, I'm so sorry, but I have a previous engagement I have to get to. Is there any way that I can get up next on the dais? And, you know, that way we could get through night court faster. But the unconventional hours of an attorney does not usually lend itself to the unconventional hours of a theater. Uh, So I've had very understanding directors. Uh, There's a lot of times when weekends and nights uh, I would be up sewing until three o'clock in the morning to do costumes for things like King Lear and you know, working on all these theater projects. There was a lot of years that sleep was a luxury, but the passion <laughs> kept you going. Sure. Uh, and, and caffeine, mostly. Would, would, uh, is being the director helpful in that regard to carve out time? Or is it, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, like I said, it's moving mountains when you're a director, but, but, but you're not on somebody else's schedule is what I guess I mean. Mm -hmm. if and especially like a lot of the times for especially for court appearances you know what your schedule is weeks in advance um you know on the rare occasion that a client would get arrested and i'd have to go to like a a late night arraignment um i never force anyone to sit in jail uh so i would just say okay someone's got to take this over or get it off to the music director uh or i would be late or i'd say this is what we're working on today and i would be able to delegate duties enough uh, with instructions so that the show could go on uh, without me. Luckily, now I have a much more reasonable banker's hours, nine to five. I am uh, a credit union's in-house counsel. And so I've got the banker's hours, nine to five. And now 5 p.m. happens and I can go straight to the theater from there. And my life is a lot more well-balanced. <laughs> so I'm able to do so much more yeah. now than I, w- than I could five years ago. Right. That's amazing. So, so here's my question is um, like Katie, I know you work in the professional world. I work in the professional world. You do too, Laura. And so sometimes I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Sometimes like, Hey, you know, I'll use the musical we did. Jeff's going to be in a funny thing up in the way of the forum. It's almost like I didn't purposely tell people I work with because of the fact that, I don't know. I've always had this fine line of like, well, maybe I won't be looked at as, you know, a Curious. professional. Yeah. yeah. If, if you know, like, Hey, he's singing about comedy tonight and stuff like that. So, but then like, as I go older, I'm like, I don't care. I'm not doing anything bad, you know? And like, you know, and then eventually they find out anyways, they come and support you and they want to support you. Right. How have you found that? 
Um, when I got hired by Sunmark, I told them straight away. Cause I think one of the things they asked me was like, you know, what do you do for fun? Got and it. named off like the 17 million things that I did. Uh, and just boasted all about, uh, my theater resume. And I, you know, I kind of used that as like, do you have any management experience? And I said, well, besides running my own law firm for like, you know, nine years, um, I also have been managing people, um, on the off hours without pay for years, uh, trying to do these things. Um, and they got really into it and they thought that that was so cool. And oh, they did. Oh yeah. They thought it was so cool. They did a spotlight piece on me right after I got hired because it was just so unique. And they, a lot of people have said that I suffer from something called an overabundance of personality. Uh, and so they thought that that would be a cool thing to mention that, Hey, they're a new attorney also doubles as like an actor and a director in her spare time. And I have had a lot of people from my business uh, career, I should say, or my banking career, come and see me in shows or that I've been in or that I've directed. Um, And they all just say it's just such a good time. And that they, the one comment they walk away with is you're the same. You're the same on stage and in the closing room. (laughs) You're the same crazy person. And I said, yes. Yes, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> I am who I am. It's funny. In my in my profession, I kind of just don't, I, I'm the opposite. I don't tell people what I do professionally. I'd rather just say, like, I hang out with Jeff on podcasts and and uh, go to theater things that my kids are now doing. Exactly. So, I usually don't tell people what I do because there's so many anti-Semitic people out there. So when oh people ask gosh. me, well, no, it's true. Well, it's true. Yeah. And, and I have had the experience where I've actually spelled out what I do and somebody's like, hmm. Yeah, they just shut down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of because of that, now I say, oh, I work for a nonprofit, and and it's like you know, it's almost like you know, what's the soup du jour? It's the soup of the day. Oh, <laughs> like I'm not giving them anything, but they're yeah. like, oh, nonprofit. Yeah, I, I mean, on a much smaller level, somewhat for what I do, I kind of I eliminate the details of if yeah. I mention what I'm. Yeah, doing. no, I get that. I get that. I worried about that at first because I was, uh, you know, as an attorney in the spotlight doing things, I thought that, you know, right. there's a lot of people out there that don't need to know that those two worlds collide. But then at the same time, I said, eh, they're going to find out anyway. Now, I, right. I do keep my other podcast world pretty hidden from. Right. A lot of so I, have, I was I, getting yeah, to that. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so, Katie, um, so Laura and, and some other uh, Sean's in it, right? Too? Correct. Yeah. Right. And, 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 um, they do this really cool podcast. Um, not, I mean, not as cool as ours, of course, but no, <laughs> yeah. no, maybe cool. And they have like this. So I listen to it. It's like, it. so, so explain what it is and then don't give the, don't tell Katie what the intro guy is. I want to get to okay. that. Uh, so our podcast is called let's remake a movie. And okay. it is four of us pals. It's cool. The same thing that you guys do. And what we do is we take two movies that We're exist cool. out in the world that have no godly business being mashed up and we mash yeah. them up. Oh, um, I love it. And we've done, our very first podcast was we did Indiana Jones, but if he was fighting Joe Exotic from Tiger King. So Indiana Jones, the temple of the Tiger King. And we recast them and then mash that up in the, and it's totally improv it's completely unscripted okay, that's, that's what i was going to ask you are you taking actual scripts and nope. making nope. that okay nope completely off the cuff completely oh, off okay. of our heads um and i'm the one who ends up getting drunk and carrying the whole thing on my back and like with plot and then they just kind of fill in the jokes and, and, <laughs> and, good, and good observations um so my favorite one is we did uh, knives out but if the murder investigation was with all of the people from friends and ross geller had been murdered I, oh my gosh oh, right. i haven't heard that i have been listening yeah, to that I'm listening to that so it's called yeah that's let's remake a movie and it's on spotify <laughs> how, how often do you do it uh so we record them in like chunks where we'll go a couple of weeks and we'll do like 10 to 11 in a couple of months and then we'll get them all combined and then we'll ship them off uh, to oh. a sound editor who will then release them for a season uh, because so, we all have crazy lives. Is the sound editor the same guy? So, so let me say it this, well, let me say it this way. So, so, uh, you know, I asked Laura to be on this podcast weeks okay. ago. Right. And, and she, you know, she said, Oh, I have a podcast. It's a lot of fun. So she sent it to me. I pushed play 
And I was like, okay, maybe I should cancel mine. I think I might cancel mine. Cause it was like, it was like, and now, you know? And, and I was like, so I was like, I played it cool. Right. I'm like, so Laura, who did your opening? It was like, it was like, it was, I, you're going to have to listen to it after this, Katie. So, yeah. so you hired somebody to do it, right? Yeah. We have, we have the, you know, the movie theater guy that does like the, and now in a world where we had somebody who knows how to do that voice. And he did our voiceover for the, intro, the intro to our podcast because it's all about movies and we're hella extra. So that's what we did. We have theme music. Right. Um, so we, Connor I mean, writes, a, writes a, a parody song on every single uh, podcast to like close us out. Um, yeah, we're, we're crazy. So fun. So fun though. It's good. And, and I love the, the image, like the icon of the, the artwork for the podcast is really like it's oh, you yeah, guys. We, we, yeah, we had a we had an artist uh, that you pay pay your artists pay your artists we pay our artists yeah. uh, to make avatars of us based upon like our vibe of movies and so Connor is uh, Indiana Jones because he's into like the the cult, the cult classics uh, Josh is the Terminator because he loves like the violent like sci-fi stuff uh, Sean is the guy from Clockwork Orange because he loves the headsy artsy stuff and. I look like uh, Holly Golightly from Breakfast at Tiffany's because I'm all yeah, about the classics. Do. So, right. <laughs> and so we picked our avatars and they were able to do that for us. And that's like our, our right. logo image on there too. So, so again, not, not exactly theater, but like movies and improv. And I use a lot of my theater skills for them too. <laughs> so with, with, the, with your, with um, the success you've had in theater, um, do you ever, kind of like, you know, maybe like a two in the morning type of thought. Well, at that point, you're probably up sewing costumes anyways. But <laughs> um, do you, I think like all of us, but I'm really curious to hear your answer particularly. Do you ever think like, I don't know, maybe I should try New York. Maybe I should try LA. Like, do you ever, I assume you have asked that years ago, but like, do you still think of that? When I was a kid, I thought about it. Um, you know, I went to New York City as a kid with these bright eyes and was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is such a big city and all these great things can happen. And I really thought about it. Uh, I did a ton of theater in high school. I was into seven types of dance lessons and I knew how to do costumes yeah. and lights and build sets. And I, I do ever, I do it all except for sound. I don't know how to do sound, but I know how to do everything else. Um, and then honest to God, um, 9-11 happened and I was like I am a white girl from upstate New York and that is a scary thing and so yeah. I, stud I studied abroad a little bit in college to get more of a view of the world um, and I never really thought about you know making a go of it in New York City or anything like that after um, and then I started practicing family law in the Bronx in New York and taking the train in and doing that. And I was like, I was like, this city's a lot smaller than people think. And, um, but I still, I didn't really have a desire for that, but I think if I ever am to make a go of it in the, in a professional capacity where I get paid to do the things that I love, uh, in New York city or in LA, it will most assuredly be as a, a author or playwright. I really think that like, if I was ever to put my heart into something, that's where my true passion lies. My true talent lies is in writing and writing scripts. Um, and a couple of the ones that I have written have been performed locally, uh, with, you know, much to accolades. And so I'm hoping that some of the things that I can expand there will eventually take, if not me physically, my words to a stage in uh, New York City. So do, do you ever submit your scripts to festivals and things like that? I do, that? yes. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's um, awesome. Uh, a lot of them uh, got, are obviously picked up by like my local theaters, confetti and things like that. Um, they, some of them have been submitted to festivals, you know, out West and, and basically all over the place. It's, you can Google like the, you know, like short play festival series and just submit like random, crazy, wild ones. Um, I've been part of like the New York city after midnight, like short fiction writing contests and stuff like that. That's awesome. Um, so you, you keep trying, you keep trying. Um, and someday, uh, as soon as I finish my, my, a couple of my new pieces, I'm planning on attempting to submit them. That's, that's great. That's great. So you enjoy writing, obviously. Love it. That was my first true passion, storytelling and writing. And then immediately after it was theater. So. Right. Well, Katie Casera, you write. Screenplays. Ooh, what? Huh? <laughs> you do? Yeah, Katie did a um a show called The End, 
right? Um, which is was on yeah. Amazon. It was on Amazon um, Prime, and it's on Pure Flix. It's actually a faith-based uh, series, digi series, so super short. Like you could watch all the episodes. It was good. It was very good. Well, that's awesome. Um, but they picked up the second season, so we'll see. It's it's a fun thing. But I I love hearing that because I, you know, I love hearing your passion for writing and as somebody who does it. Um, well, I just love that you're well both that doing it because. I'll be driving around. I'm like, had this like brilliant, what I feel is a brilliant idea for a script. I'm like, oh, I'm going to write that starting tonight. And I'll get home. I'm like, click. And then I'll just like start watching TV. The fact that you guys do it. My phone is full of like notes of like notes to self. Like I'll be driving and I'll be like, okay, voice memo, no. And I'll just like go off on whatever I need to, to, to make sure I don't lose that. For sure. But you guys actually have done it. You've actually sat and written scripts. You know what I mean? Yes. And that, and that's impre- like, I did that when I was like a teenager. I, I haven't really done that again, you know? And um, yeah. it's just impressive that you, not only have you done it, yours has been, both of yours have been out in the public in some regard. And that's really impressive. So now I'm going to do some actor studio type of, um, type of questions for Love you. It. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so, what would you say um, your favorite childhood memory is? Oh gosh, favorite childhood memory. Um, mm. hmm, favorite childhood memory. I I would say it's the one that everybody talks about the most. So when I was three and a half, I was at Sesame Street World in Jersey with my parents, and. I saw at the very end they like in you know they have like little you know stage show where Big Bird comes out and all that jazz. And um, Big Bird announced to the crowd, like anybody who wants to come up and dance with Big Bird can come up and dance with Big Bird. And then my parents looked down and noticed I was missing. Um, And they searched the park for me until a very astute security guard was like, is that your daughter? And meanwhile, you have some poor stage manager who's on like the PA system being like, would the parents of the very adorable child please come collect their daughter from the <laughs> stage? She won't leave. That was me. <laughs> so I at I, three and a half. Yeah, they like Those to say the, the story boys. that uh, at three and a half years old I climbed onto a stage and I refused to leave ever since. So that's yeah, my... <laughs> right. That's, yeah, that's a good that's a that's an excellent story. Um, <laughs> what what would you say your biggest pet peeve is? Oh gosh. Uh, biggest pet peeve is, uh, people who don't follow through. Yeah. If you tell me you're going to do something and then you don't do it and then then I got to go do it for you, but it's going to be like 10 times as hard because I thought you were supposed to do it first. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest. Oh yeah. That's actually why I'm thinking about it. You also do TikTok also. I do. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, yes. So what do you, how do you do though? You, you memorize the lines and then do a sound clip to them. Is that it depends. Sometimes uh, you can uh, either memorize it like really quick, uh, but use that playback function and hit like the, I'm going to memorize it up until this point, And that's when the video stops. And then I'll keep going and memorize it in like sentence Got structure. It. Don't try to do like 30 seconds at a bit. Mm-mm, don't do that. <laughs> well, that's funny. I did two of them last summer, like one from Goodfellas and one from um, The Hangover. And for the 30 second clip, it took me like two or three hours. No, to, to memorize and cut and do, I'm like damn it I'm like I almost got through it and then like I get like one like I'm like well screw you girl. I, I am fascinated that these teenagers kids kids yeah are on these apps and they can like so quick and they're editing videos and they're like mm-hmm. faster than I know people. I'm like it takes I, I still don't understand how to use reels I can't yeah. Yeah, it's just it's so much for me. And I know I sound like, you know, the old lady, but it's just unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. I, I got on TikTok because I couldn't do theater during COVID and it right. annoyed the ever loving crap out of me. And I'm also a cosplayer um, and you can't go to Comic-Con and you can't yeah. go to these things. And so I said, well, screw it. I hear the tell that there is a whole, uh, you know, a community of people on TikTok who you can be friends and show off your Have cosplay you- and your costume stuff. Have you been to Comic-Con, New York yeah. or San Diego? No, not New York. No, I go to like the small local ones. So what um, are your, 
alter personalities. Um, yeah, do you I go have... in a mask so nobody knows it's you? No, 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 no. I I, I do a lot of like smallish cosplays. Uh, so I have a great Ursula the Sea Witch one. Oh, I that's have, awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's a lot of Disney stuff. Yeah. Um, I have a I have a Mad Madam Mim that I love. If you know who that is, she's the witch from Sword in the Stone, the crazy okay. Mad oh, Mad, yeah, Mad yeah. Madam. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you. Um, I've got a couple of them like that. I do a pretty good uh, Black Widow. I've got I've got a couple of them on there. Um, I'm also working right now, especially because it's coming out um, with uh, She-Hulk because yes. Jennifer uh, She-Hulk, uh, Jennifer Waters, she, the She-Hulk is a lawyer. Um, who hulks out and I was like well how freaking perfect is that right I've got the the 1970s bodysuit and I've got like the white ripped thing that I'm working on too so so yeah yeah yeah. so lots of sorry no my son is is 12 going on 13 and he's the world's largest Superman fan ever and so (laughs) and he's a ham you you would love him yeah yeah. Um, okay but I'm I'm just telling you Laura like you would see him be like he's an actor He's he's doing his first show ever and he started middle school this year. He auditioned. He went balls to the wall with the Danny DeVito impression for the dad and Matilda. Didn't get it. He's an ensemble, but I'm like, dude, he killed it. He killed it. Uh, Yeah. He did it for me on camera. He was great. Wait till he gets older. Right. I just told him, I'm like, being an ensemble for your first show is the best thing because now you have no pressure. You get to enjoy it. You get to feel how it you is to get acclimated to that world. Yeah. Book, you know, but the reason I bring him up is because he's obsessed with Superman. And so I didn't know what cosplay was until he was into all this stuff and he can rattle off facts and details and history and whatever. And I took him um, for the 80th celebration of Superman to Metropolis, Illinois. Jeff, I don't know if I told you this. What? I didn't know oh you did God. that. Yeah, he and I That's alone. That's so nice. We went, we flew into Paducah, Kentucky, because it was a 10-minute drive to Metropolis, Illinois. We that is definitely somewhere I'd say I work for a nonprofit. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to this Superman celebration. We met um, all, like, we met Brandon Ralph. We met, what? We, met um, we became friends with who I'm still friends with on Facebook, Aaron Smolinski, who played the baby Superman and with the Christopher Reeves movie oh, where he comes out of the gosh. naked, that's, that's him. He's now like, he checks in on my son. They loved him. He was schooling old guys like in trivia sessions. It was the coolest thing, but there were all these cosplayers and yeah. I didn't even know the terminology. She's like, Liam, there's Superman and there's Superman. And he's like, Mom, right? Cosplay. I was like, right. Oh well, I got really excited. I've got pictures with all the different. I'm like, which one's the real one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then we got to meet the actors. It was great. But that was my first experience with cosplay. So for those listening who might not know what it is, I just wanted to throw that out there because it is yeah. a very cool. Co- cosplay is like if Halloween was every day because you didn't get enough of it one day a yeah. year, but you go as you say, balls to the wall with an yeah. accurate costume so much so that it's basically like movie I, or set accurate. Yeah. yeah. I went to New York Comic Con. Um, I think it was 2015. I took my friend who was very much not a Comic Con person. Like, <laughs> definitely not, right? That is and not, was, a, that is not so a personal me, situation me, to like, bring yeah. I walk in, right, I walk in and there's a big Jurassic Park sign that says, welcome to Jurassic Park. And then there's like cosplayers of Back to the Future with a real oh. DeLorean. And he and and he's just like, what the <laughs> F is this? He's like, he's like, and I'm like, I'm home. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm never leaving. And like there were just, and then my favorite part was I went outside of com- like on the where the stairs were, and all of these cosplayers were hanging out. And, and they I just, just take took a pictures picture. and they find, yeah. Oh, it's pictures, 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 right? I didn't dress up, but like, you know, it was. It was very cool. It was, like I, I, I love that. St- I love that kind of stuff. Okay, it's but great. let's it's, get back. It's, it's so great. So yeah. Okay, I won't ask you. Are you an introvert or extrovert? I think I got that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Wait, sushi. one kind of cuisine. Oh, sushi. You sushi. Really? Really? Sushi. Yes, sushi. Wow. <laughs> I love, I love wow. sushi. Yep. Yeah. Sushi. No, okay. Jeff, well, was, I thought you'd have to think about that one. Nope. Okay. Sushi. Okay. What's <laughs> what's the most favorite trip you've ever been on? Oh, favorite trip I've ever been on. Oh, that's a toughie. Um, okay. This one's a bit of a, a bit of a literal hike. Um, so 
I was studying abroad in Guatemala and this is the same like held up on the side of a mountain story. Um, but this is the happy ending to it. So I was in uh, Cebal, Guatemala, and they took us uh, from our little mini uh, hostel hotel uh, to this river. And we had to travel upriver in like a reed boat with like an Evan Root on the back, like trying to go upriver for a couple of hours to get to this ancient Mayan ruin site where we had to hike upstairs that the Mayans built um to get to the site <laughs> and they were still there and they were still better than the roads in Troy and uh, we had right. to hike up all of the way to this site and to see it and when we got there there was like half a temple and like one a couple of sundials and stuff and there was locals working on the sites and I was like are these guys archaeologists and they said no these are Mayan descendants. We employ the local descendants because then the site doesn't get looted because it's their own heritage and they're invested in the culture and the site. Um, and all around me, there was just like these piles of like dirt covered in trees and grass and, and vines in the rainforest. And I was like, what the hell is this? And they're like, those are the pyramids. That's what they look like when they discover them in the forest. And just like my white western culture just got such a bee slap like across the face like yeah, in national right, geographic right. you think that they look like all different and so that mecca of a trip to get there and to see so little uh, of of the culture that's there but to see like what it looked like when it was discovered was a very humbling experience um, sure. and just that whole culture and experience there and speaking with the people and being really just like in the life there was so beautiful um that i i had to do a plus if you went to say ball you could also hop skip and a jump uh over to the site where george lucas filmed star wars with like the 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 x-wings like flying in yeah. and stuff which i totally did and took pictures of i was just gonna say yeah, I'm sure of course you did. i freaking did uh, <laughs> so you got to do that as well so yeah it's visiting the mayan sites in guatemala i think that's yeah. awesome what's your uh, favorite holiday movie and what do you think that says about you my favorite holiday movie um now the cultural <laughs> attache in me wants to say that my favorite culture movie is like white christmas or or like it's a wonderful life or something but it's not it's national lampoons holiday vacation because that's basically my family every year at christmas <laughs> we are a bunch of crazy humans barreling towards near-death experiences just to get out of the holidays um and i love it that's great what, who who are the three most influential people in your life oh, or man. have been um Everybody pauses I, on this one. Yeah, I think I think the three are definitely going to be um, my dad, uh, who taught me everything I know about being self-sufficient and relying on yourself and your wits and your smarts to get into and out of situations and solving problems. Uh, I think the second one uh, is definitely uh, my my grandmother, grandfather pair that took me to New York City and showed me the world outside of Dolgeville, uh, like really and truly right. showed me that. Um, and I think the third, let's see, that one's tough. Who really, really influenced me? Um, man, that is a tough one. I think it's because you get so inspired um, minutely throughout your life. Um, but if I, you know, had to pick one other human being who I look at every single day and say, that's an inspiration to me that keeps me going, it would be Lauren Gunderson. Um, Lauren Gunderson is a playwright who does amazing plays about strong women. So in a way, her writing about inspirational women continues to inspire me because it's all about inspirational women. Um, That's and, wonderful. Yeah, right. And so she wrote, uh, she wrote uh, Silent Sky. She wrote Eight in the Engine. She wrote uh, uh, The Half-Life of Marie Curie. Um, Emily, the Marquise de Chatelet defends her life tonight. She, she writes these amazing stories about very strong women and very fun holiday pieces, uh, such as Christmas at Pemberley as well. Uh, but she, her writing style is so beautiful and poetic, but informative at the same time. I strive to do every single show of, of hers as a director, just to show the world how awesome she is. Uh, and so that would be the, the last person I would say. <laughs> Oh, those are great. Those are great answers. Okay. Here's a challenge. Here's a challenging one. What would be the title of a book about you if your worst enemy wrote it? 
if who wrote oh, it i like this I if, like if you're it. worse the title of a book written about you but if your worst enemy wrote it um oh wow i stumped you for at least a second yeah i'll take it let's see if my worst enemy wrote it oh okay think need a drink yeah uh i would think it would be Holy shit, hang on for dear life, a Laura Darling story. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I like it. I would buy that. You know, I just met you. I feel like that sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of people in my life, the reason why they fall out of touch with me in my life is because, uh, you know, they figure that, oh, I'm her friend and this and that. And, you know, someday she'll slow down and have me over for Parcheesi, but they don't realize that this train does not stop. Yeah. Right, right. Well, what, um, people you, either need to get on the train or get out of the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, what occupation besides theater and law would you would you like would you have liked to try or like to try? Uh, definitely a writer. Yeah, I was a newspaper reporter for a very short period of time, and I was very minute, good yeah. at it. But yeah, for a half a hot minute. But I think like I would totally be cool to be one of those like starving artist writers. I would totally have wanted to do that. Yeah that's amazing i mean no i mean it's one of those things that i think about myself with certain like with acting and stuff like that it's just like i like to eat and have a roof over my head too so um you know as, as you know like like i think i think probably if i asked you i'm sure you know somebody that's been on tv or movies or you know real professional theater right as do i but then yeah. the next year i'm like yeah they're not doing anything right now they can't find work yeah, but that's, the, that's the, big, the big uh, capitalist lie is that we were the generation that were that was grown up and shoved the, you know, dare drug situations and the scholastic yep. book fairs down our throat and told so long as you do good in school and you stay in school and you do this, you'll have a good life and a good job and you won't go hungry yep. and don't, you know, trail off into things that won't make you money because then you'll end up not having the things that you want in life. And the big effing corporate lie is that now we're this age and we don't have those passions or some people don't have those passions and some of us are still broke and some of us still don't have houses of our own and some of us are still in dead-end jobs and that's the big secret and lie is that just because you have all of this education doesn't guarantee you anything in the world and so yeah. I think that a lesson that now the next generation is learning or even the younger generation is learning is follow your passions first because those will always stay with you um, versus your drive to go to a boring nine to five. I mean, I thought I wanted to run my own law firm to help people. And it only took, you know, seven and a half, eight years for me to realize that I don't like helping people who are terrible to me or to each other or don't pay their bills, you know? And so that passion fell away once that facade was gone yeah. and but the passion that I had for theater stayed and sure. stayed even though it it tires you out and it bogs you down and it costs you money and it breaks your heart but you still come back to it because that is your true love and passion for that yeah. I always yeah. say theater I love and I have a love-hate relationship with it oh yeah, yeah there's so many times I'm like I'm done I'm never doing it again then someone's like you know oh audition notice okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're like, yeah. I'm never auditioning for that director again because they right. never cast me. And then another audition notice comes out and you're like, well, I mean, I guess I can try one more time, you know, right. the it was me. It was me. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Maybe they're having a bad day. Um, so no, back to one of the original things you said, sorry, Jeff, but just to no. make this point, because I think it's important when we started this interview, you know, you said you told your cast we and your whole team for the show, you need to do the work. Right. Yeah. And so I think where the message gets lost for you know and and i'm part of that same generation that you're describing right so it's it's you look at all those things shoved down our throats and that it wasn't are you going to college or what are your dreams it's where are you going to college yes, and it, yes. what are you going to major in but you're going to go to college and you'll figure it out later so we walked out of college with these degrees and these tracks of of passionless pursuit however yeah. I think there's got to be a balance and this is what we're trying to teach our kids and we'll see if we're screwing it up or not but you know, there's got to be this balance of follow your passions and do what you love. So go for the theater. And if you want to write the script, freaking do it and put the work in, mm -hmm. but also like 
go make some money and like support yourself and your family. And so maybe you don't have to go after a four year or seven year degree to do so, but just look at work is it's just work. It's work because that's how our, that is how our society runs, whether you like it or not. And then put your, put your other, your work, your passion work into your passion and, and that should give some space for both, right? I think where we get confused is when we try to make one fit the other, right? Our passion be our work or our work be our passion. It doesn't always translate. That's but why I say in all space. of my theater bios, I yeah. say that she is a lawyer to support her theater habit. Right. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh. I love that. Oh. So I just, I think that's, that's, that's why you know, say I that. Think that's a good message for people. I think you're such a good example, such a strong example of a, of a, of a badass woman, right? With <laughs> a, a wonderful career and, and in both theater and in the, you know, world of law, mm-hmm. but one pays and one doesn't, but like you, Correct. Right? Like it's just, and, but you're, you're doing what you want to be doing. You're doing what you love and because you're making it happen and it hasn't fallen in your lap. And so that's the message I think is something I would want my girls to look up to. So I think yeah. you're killing it. That's all I wanted yeah, to say. Thanks. <laughs> so I have three, I have three final questions for you. Not that you're an Oracle or maybe you are. Um, what do you think the world would look like in five years? Oh God. Uh, well, considering what just happened this morning, um, I think, I think in five years, we're going to see a world that is more interconnected, but disjointed and alone than ever. Mm -hmm. We could realize that, you know, we have, governments that seem separated from their peoples um, because just because you can tweet at your congressman doesn't mean that that's true communication. We have, you know, friends that are connected more than ever, but then again, you know, liking someone's Facebook post is not the same thing as like bringing a casserole over to their house if they had a baby. You know, uh, I think that we have a world that's more interconnected, but yet more isolated and alone. And I think that we're going to start to see cultural and psychological impacts from that begin to increase. And I think there might be a small, not revolution, but uh, renaissance of the old fashioned book clubs and the, the, the yeah. happy hour drink hangouts, especially because we all just survived the worst right. two years of isolation of our lives. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. I think that you're going to see more, more things like block parties and Tupperware parties and like book club hangouts. Even if the only reason is that you're going to go hang out in somebody's house. Um, I mean, yeah. I play more D and D now with my friends than I ever did before, even though before I could like, interconnect with seven different parties uh online and zoom and play DD. and now i'm playing in a bunch of different sessions at people's houses and half the time we're just sitting there you know shooting the shit and talking i think we're going to see right. a renaissance emergence of the in-person stupid little get-togethers tea parties and play dates and stuff and less Basic- of this online stuff so basically things that we're taking to granted of before taken for yeah. granted of before that's that's what i that's what i think you're gonna okay, start seeing a, a renaissance of that here's a follow-up question i have two more questions for you sure. i said i said what do you think the the world will look in five years what do you think it looked like in 50 years oh god in 50 years i think that we will all uh be able to project ourselves as holograms places so that we don't have to drive um Great. anymore and you can go be a hologram. Right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I <laughs> think of. that fa- Facebook will charge you $50 to see the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and you right. can uh, and you can be a citizen of a world global economy, but only if you have a, a monthly subscribers box. That's what so I think. So <laughs> you, you think it'll be it'll it'll be more like what Mark Zuckerberg's introducing now, Meta. Yes, yes, I do. And, I think that yeah. I think that it's going to go uh in in a big way the 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 big umbrella is that it's going to be uh it's going to continue to get bigger um and i think that that's unfortunate (laughs) so kind of like ready player one that type of thing um is that the one where they all basically log into like this metaverse and that's how they live their whole lives uh i i think that that may be a little bit of it but i think you're going to see a lot more like gap between the rich and the poor and the access to natural cultural heritage sites and 
things like the arts and things like college are going to start being a luxury that is only affordable by the rich or the people who consider themselves to be upper middle class, you're going to start to see a lot less access to what should be, you know, free air and free parks uh, because of this drive to, you know, be, be bigger and make more money. I think, unfortunately, unless of course society decides to put the brakes on in a big way. Personal opinion, personal opinion. No, no, I get it. I get it. (laughs) Or we just live in a land of candy. Yeah. (laughs) And scene. Um, And then lastly, I ask everybody this for the last question is, what do you hope to be remembered for? Oh, boy. Um, Laura Darling in memoriam will be remembered for her 50 uh, Academy Award winning Broadway plays. Uh, as well as wow. multiple multiple screenplays, uh, one time appearance on Law and Order, and uh, a entire theater district in the Capitol scene named after her. Beautiful. Wait, were you on Law and Order? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> uh, every time they have a Law and Order thing with some defense attorney saying something oh. to the district attorney, I'm like, they should get a writer in there that practices law. They should. They should. They probably do in retrospect, but like there's a couple of actual uh, shows out there that I think must have been written by a lawyer or co-written by a lawyer because they're a little bit more accurate, like Legally Blonde, a lot more accurate than half of the courtroom dramas that you see uh, on like suits and shit. Yeah. Uh, Wow. uh, Like My Cousin Vinny is stunningly accurate when it comes to uh, actual legal precedent and procedure. And the way judges will treat an out-of-town attorney. Very, very accurate. Wow. Wow. That's that's interesting. (laughs) That's interesting. Well, let me say this. This has been fascinating to talk to you, really. It's just like, I have so many... I had so much energy and questions coming into this and you, I, I'm sure there's many more and hopefully like once we get to uh, our 50 Academy Awards of like uh, episodes, hopefully you'll come back because uh, this was, this was just wonderful. Thank Lord you so Darling, much. Part two, the train continues. 